What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to the Window Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of the Window Patchwork, Chris Abbott from Cool Bet Canada joins the show to talk about the other divisions in the NHL so far this season and how co-workers' vacation time moved him into the unfamiliar role of odds maker for a sport that you may have never bet on. But first, I'll look back at the brutal night on the ice where the hockey gods and lords of sports betting co-conspired. Finally, the college hoops projections for a sneaky small Saturday card in major conference basketball. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Rough night for us over at Let's Do That Hockey. I went on Brown Bag Bets yesterday, a podcast YouTube stream with Andy Molitor and Alex Christensen. You can catch that over at the Deep Dive YouTube channel and wherever you found this podcast. But we're talking about hockey betting and the idea that there's kind of just no such thing as a bad beat when it comes to betting on a side because everything is a bad beat in hockey, right? Like the whole thing is just kind of one big bad beat, and sometimes you're on the side that wins, and sometimes you're on the side that loses. There's very few sort of straight-up victories one way or another. And then we also talked about how overtime was just totally brutal. And, of course, both things would come back to haunt me just hours later last night. And it's just another example that you can't put this stuff out into the ether. You cannot test the betting gods or luck in general. Because it starts with, and not you know chronologically necessarily, but just a complete catastrophe in Chicago where we're on the Blackhawks plus 190. They've got a 2-0 lead through two. They are frankly the much better team on this night. And you know, 11 to 3 high danger chances. They had a considerable advantage uh, when it comes to expected goals for goals against. And a really soft goal early on in the third period makes it 2 to 1. And then Tampa Bay, Steve Stamkos, gets a goal to tie it midway through the third. And then you're sort of hanging on and just at that point, by and large, just trying to get to overtime. Because as much as you know, Chicago was the better team last night, in the same way that Dallas was the better team against Tampa Bay a couple of nights before. You're still going, okay, we can get this thing to overtime, and then let's just play the coin flip, etc., etc. Then you get through overtime, and each team's getting chances, and Patrick Kane's ripping pucks off of the post. And you're like, okay, we're going to go to a shootout here, except for Tampa Bay scores on a seeing-eye, just total fluke point shot with .1 left. And frankly, it was even less than point. One, And you're just sitting there going like, man, we did everything right. We had a plus 180, plus 190, depending on your price. In overtime, the better team the whole way. Again, very much like Dallas a couple of nights ago. And you get bummed out about it. <laughs> and you're Because, you're, you know, at the end of the day, as we talk about like record keeping, it's 0-1. That is 0-1. Whether it's today, whether it's next week, whether it's eight months from now, whether it's 25 years from now, that is 0-1, despite being a really, really good bet. And so you get bummed out about it. But then you realize what we're doing here and what they're doing over there is trying to cultivate a community here as people start to, you know, get a little bit deeper into betting or even they just start flat out betting is, you know, we're trying to cultivate this community where people are smart about this stuff. Right. So if you're sitting there seeing a goal go in with 0.1 seconds left in overtime and saying, oh, 
what a bad bet on the Blackhawks. Like, that was stupid. Then you're probably not, you know, you're probably just frankly not right for sports betting. And you're certainly not right for these types of shows. But at the same time, of course, the purpose of these types of shows, whether it's me here at the window or Brown Bag Bets, you know, is that, yeah, okay, if we can sort of teach you or sort of reframe the conversation or reframe what the expectation levels are here, then you are right for this show. So, um, you know, a lot of people who listen to the show are sort of aware that these are the things that just sort of happen, how they just sort of seem to happen against us more often than they happen for us, um, you know, sucks. But at the same time, like, at least you understand, um, you know, what a good bet is versus what a bad bet is and what, you know, <laughs> and how sort of luck just plays into this across the board. Uh, you know, and if you're just one of those people who's like, no, I'm never listening to that guy again, you know what, go pay for picks then. You know, it's, it is what that is. Uh, and so we wish it went the right way, but them's the breaks. And we just hope to be in a good spot relative to our number. And when Chicago goes to overtime, and frankly, obviously 0.1 second away from a shootout, that is what we accomplished. We accomplished it there, you know, there, and we accomplished it in Detroit and Carolina as well. Detroit, a massive underdog. 2-1 lead late in the third and expected goals for the entire game. 1.86 for Carolina to 1.75. So again, a very much coin flippy type game from the way that it was played. And again, that's all we were hoping for. Now, when you're sitting on a 2-1 lead and you start thinking, holy, like we might actually get there with this big plus 260, plus 280 style uh, underdog. You're going, okay, like we got a real shot here. And then, you know, late goal in the second period, early goal to start the third. Now you're behind the eight ball with a team that isn't, <laughs> frankly, isn't very good offensively. And we were just trying to rely on them to hold it down after going up two to one. Didn't work out. Were we in a really good spot at the end of the second period, at least before, no, even after? You know, even at 2-2, are we in a really good spot relative to the price that we paid? For sure, right? And if you're paying minus 300 for Carolina with their third string goalie in there, you have more power to you and you won and you sort of cashed whatever what you know whatever that bet ended up being, right? If you're actually putting down three to win back one on that Carolina team, like you've got frankly bigger balls than we do for betting the underdog in that situation. Florida Nashville, this one was a really weird game where it was just everybody was scoring left, right, and center, ends up being a one goal game. And, you know, Florida, the better team, but not by a ton necessarily. So a very sort of coin flip game. Florida probably deserved to win that game relative to how they play. But when you're going in with plus 120, that's not the worst bet that we've ever made. Either the one game in the central that we didn't play at all, Columbus and Dallas, strangely enough, ends up being the game where the underdog wins, despite expected goals for and expected goals against were exactly the same. I don't think I've seen that at all this season at 1.69 for either side. As for the North, so, you know, Central goes badly. We make a bunch of really good bets, you know, to varying degrees, right? Chicago was an incredibly good bet. Detroit was just a good bet. Both end up losing. And then Florida was, again, Florida-Nashville was a sort of coin flip game that doesn't go our way because Florida scores early, Nashville scores late, and they don't get enough, um, frankly, don't get enough defense, which is strange to say about, you know, Nashville. And then Pecorine was not very good. Um, which, by the way, you know, another situation in the goaltending realm where, you know, UC Saros plays really well in two games against Columbus over the weekend, and then all of a sudden he ends up on IR. I don't know if there's ever been a season where this thing, you know, keeps happening, where these goaltenders are just coming down with, like, insane injuries, um, insane amounts of injuries, I should say. Um, as for the North, uh, Winnipeg, Montreal, we go to overtime. And this Montreal team is just so incredibly frustrating. In this case, they finally weren't the better team five on five. 
But this is a spot where they've got to win that hockey game. Like, I know they ended up beating Ottawa the other night, but, like, they got to do better than just beating Ottawa at home here if you're going to make up any ground here in the division. And so, you know, obviously the coaching change hasn't sort of come into effect with regards to them actually um, succeeding. They get a late goal to force overtime. But, they, you know, too many chances in the game where they just, you know, turnovers. They just gave away easy scoring chances. And Winnipeg has enough high-end talent that they're going to convert those. And so, you know, we get to overtime again, coin flip type of situation. You know, as of this podcast yesterday, this was a minus 130 bet that ends up closing right at our number. And so it's worth mentioning, when we're talking about evaluating how we're doing from a sports betting standpoint, we have to evaluate, like, again, closing line value. And when I say, like, my numbers make this about a minus 154, and the price is 130, and then it goes to minus 140, and we're still like, that's still good value, and then it eventually gets to minus 155, that has to mean something, right? Like, that does mean something. That means that our numbers are on the right track. Now, when we actually play the game out, given the fact that even a minus 154 is, you know, still pretty darn close to a 50-50 type game, that's the NHL, so you don't know what you're going to get. And so, yeah, Montreal could have scored a bunch of different times in that overtime, and we'd be talking about how, you know, maybe we got bailed out a little bit from overtime, and it's nice to actually get one of those, and that kind of thing. But it didn't work out, right? Winnipeg gets the goal. Two guys collide with each other on Montreal in the defensive zone. Two out of the three players that are on the ice in three-on-three overtime run into each other, allowing Winnipeg to get a clean shot from the slot right in the exact area where they collided. So what do you do? You just shrug your shoulders and go, okay, did the best we could when it comes to betting, right? Got the best of the number, got the best of the price. Um, our, the closing line price ended up being exactly where we were. Same thing with regards to football, right? If you make the number seven and a half and it opens six and a half and it moves all the way to seven and a half by the time the game starts, you were right. You were doing the correct thing in your market, uh, market making. Now, if you had bet minus six and a half when the number came out and the game ended on a you know late field goal to win by three, you shrug your shoulders there, but from a market-making standpoint, you're doing things correctly. So these are the things that you have to remind yourself when things are going poorly from a results-based standpoint. Um, speaking of which, Ottawa and Carolina couldn't have possibly done this any better, right? We talked yesterday about how value on Ottawa from obviously a number standpoint, they've just beat them two out of three times here. You're getting better than plus 150, all of that sort of thing, except the scheduling spot was rough for Ottawa. Calgary sitting there waiting for them. Ottawa had to go to Montreal in between. We need to know whether Matt Murray shows up. And so as we watch these games, as we follow along with these games, we start to learn about these teams and their tendencies. And they're not going to be 100% type things the way that it was with Ottawa last night. But we know that Ottawa, when they lose, it's over quick, right? The games that they lose, the games that we've bet on them at plus 200, whatever, they get, they give up goals early and often. And so in this case, it's, uh, you know, we talked about yesterday, let's bet it live. Let's wait 10 minutes to see if Matt Murray feels like goaltending today. Sure enough, three goals on four shots to start the game. And we never had to make the bet because we never got remotely close to a point where we would be interested in betting Ottawa because they were already down 2-0, 3-1, to etc., etc. And so we save ourselves in that spot by being aware of what these teams do. Now, again, easily it could have been a situation where Ottawa scores in the first minute of the game and we never get an opportunity to bet Ottawa and they win the game outright. But we know better, right? We know better with this 
Senators team is that when they lose, you know it within the first five to 10 minutes. And so that I think is a strategy that we just have to go with going forward. There'll be some instances where there's a better scheduling spot. And frankly, the next game between these two teams on Sunday is a really good scheduling spot because Calgary has to play Edmonton in between. So Ottawa just stays and hangs out in Calgary over the course of the weekend where Calgary has to go play Edmonton, a team that's going to be pretty desperate after losing three games to Toronto. And, uh, you know, obviously a bitter rival and all of that sort of thing and to turn around and then have to come back and play Ottawa on Sunday. So we're going to be on Ottawa and we're going to be on them right from the get-go, right? This isn't going to be that bad scheduling spot for Ottawa where we have to keep, you know, a sort of an arm's length type of a situation. Uh, and then finally, the game that sort of saves everything, right? Again, if you're joining us for the first time, having seen Brown Bag Bets yesterday, you know that my best bet, the bet that I sort of had to stop the guys you know, they were, they were trying, they were sending me off on my way after having a really fun conversation. I was like, are we going to do picks here? Like, do you guys want anything for tonight? And then I realized like, oh my God, my best bet is fading the Leafs, which is just an absolute disaster, of course, for much of the season. But sure enough, um, I don't even know if the scheduling spot sort of worked out. They obviously, I think, got tired towards the third period and couldn't muster a comeback. But Vancouver wins that game two to one, then three to one um, in the third and so fortunately, we sort of save face from that standpoint. So the three games that I gave up on I gave out on brown bag bets yesterday are, you know, overtime loss, overtime bad beat. Again, after having just talked about overtimes and their and the idea that, you know, hockey just is bad beats in its entirety. And then fortunately enough, Vancouver gets there to sort of save the day. Um, tonight, not much going on. Um, back to the well with Chicago. Pretty simple, right? I think McElhaney starts for Tampa Bay. I think that's why this number is down to plus 165 versus the plus 190 that it was yesterday. But you're getting a team that was the better team last night. You're getting, you're going against a Tampa team that, again, just hasn't been creating scoring chances, hasn't been the better team in their last two games. This is a game that they could easily dump. This is a game that Chicago, I think, wants. And, I mean, they all want, they, everybody wants all the games, right? But we saw with Toronto last night, it's like, would you blame them if they didn't play particularly well in this game? And they didn't. I mean, they played okay. They're first period was actually very good that being said I think you know we just have to go back to the well here with Chicago at plus 165 certainly a good enough price there uh, so that's a story from a hockey standpoint um, over in the north and the central but next up we're gonna get Canadian as hell up in here it's been way too long since we got to catch up with our next guest he's the country manager for Canada at coolbet.com and a friend of this podcast welcome to the window Chris Abbott Matt, how you doing, man? I uh, yeah, I haven't been to the window, uh, virtual or otherwise, in, in quite some time. So it's uh, it's great to catch up. Yeah, I miss the days where you could just uh, go to a casino in Las Vegas, uh, sit at a sports book, run up and back and forth to the window. Um, but you know, we uh, we do what we can here in the virtual world. So lots to talk about today. Um, so just to keep you up to date with what we've been doing, uh, we have been focusing on just the central and north divisions in the NHL, and the obviously the crazy scheduling and the idea that these kind of divisions are essentially kind of leagues uh, to their own. Right? We don't really know. Um, how they would compare with each other. But we're getting near, you know, towards the near point of this season, uh, near the midpoint, I should say. And I was hoping you could come in and catch us up on what's going on in the other two divisions, the East and the West. But um, per, before we get into that, I do have one question for you based on sort of what I've already talked about on the podcast. You've played hockey your whole life. You've coached it. You've called games. 
you know, in hockey this season, teams seem to be winning games at a high rate when they're being outplayed at even strength, right? Like sort of against the metrics of that individual game. In other sports, there's no way we bet teams that are, you know, being out yardaged, right? In football, for example. They just, you know, that just wouldn't be a thing that we would want to do. But in hockey, like, what about hockey makes this a thing, right? Like, is it just the randomness on the ice? Or what do you think from sort of that, like, very in-depth hockey guy sort of perspective? Yeah, so I think the 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 first thing is that hockey is a very low-scoring sport. Um, and mm-hmm. it's like soccer in that regard. But we do see more underdogs win in hockey for sure. And I think that's because the game is way more fluid and the decisions are way faster than they are in the, on the soccer pitch where, you know, it's very methodical and, and skill and possession often win out at the end of the day. Whereas in hockey, um, unlike soccer, um, and I'll use an example from uh, this week when the Toronto Maple Leafs played Vancouver, um, Thatcher Demko was just unbelievable. You know, that game, could have been a, a Maple sure. Leafs win. Um, you know, they're not going to win them all, but they certainly, um, with things stacked up against them on a back-to-back, et cetera, et cetera, travel, um, they still had their opportunities to win that game. Um, and, uh, you know, the goaltender, one sole player on this in this team environment, uh, made the biggest difference in that game. So I think, you know, right. just in my experience in hockey, because it's low scoring, um, because it's a game that is played in a small confined space. I think the, the, um, the likelihood for error um, for a favorite and, and the resulting kind of negative impact on the scoreboard is, uh, is a lot higher. And that's, that's what I think leads to, you know, if, if you miss a coverage in a football game and the team gets 40 yards, your defense can still, can still stop them on that drive sure. or hold them to three. And I think, I think that's the, the biggest difference for me why we see underdogs in hockey have a lot of success all those things combining well and that's it right and you say underdogs but it's also sort of like underdogs within the game because you know you bring up the toronto and vancouver game last night but i think it was even sort of more of a discrepancy in the tampa bay chicago game where chicago Mm -hmm. was much much better than tampa bay and it's like if i had told you before the game you know this team's going to have you know 13 to 4 in their high danger chances like you couldn't pay you couldn't make that bet for me for free to bet on tampa bay but yet you know again tampa bay pulls out obviously just a ridiculous win there at the last literal last second uh, in overtime but it just seems like on a nightly basis it kind of doesn't even matter who the favorite or underdog is going into the game it's like the flow of play goes one way, but the scoreboard goes the other way. So um, as far as the uh, East and West are concerned, so simply put, um, we'll start with the East. Are there, is there a team that beyond obviously sort of looking at the standings that you know, you've been impressed with and they might still be underrated in the marketplace in the East division? Yeah, I, I mean, in all the divisions, I think, and, and it's only natural because we're seeing the same teams play each other over and over and over and over, that we're going to get mm-hmm. a, a quicker uh, sedimentation of the standings um, where, where the bottom teams are absolutely going to plummet and the top teams are, are absolutely going to rise. Um, 
even though they're tied for first in the division, uh, although the other teams have some games in hand, I think the New York Islanders are a team that maybe don't get the respect that they deserve. And I talk about this a lot, and and you know my affinity for the way they play the game. Um, Nassau Chris, they're just back. That's right. They're just a difficult team to play against, and they're getting you know decent goaltending, uh, and they play the game the right way, and that really matters uh in when it comes to hockey um it's it's hard to liken it to anything i guess in the nba you know um there's still some teams that lock it down on defense i think the year the raptors won the championship you know they weren't that flashy but they were locking teams down on defense and making it really really difficult and in crunch time to me that's what makes the makes the biggest difference and that's why i think the boston bruins are always there even though you know, they don't always have, you know, 12 flashy forwards or anything like that. So those sure. are two teams that I'm always going to back in this East. Um, the Penguins, I think they're they're certainly on the downslope. We saw it start last year in the playoffs. And I wonder how long Mike Sullivan keeps a job there. I think the Rangers are on the come up, but they still got uh, further to go than I thought they did coming into this year. So right now, and, and it's not sexy, but, you know, the Islanders and the Bruins, they play low scoring games. They find ways to win. They can come back when they're down. Uh, those, these are all traits that I look for when I'm, I'm looking for an NHL team to have success long-term. From a fade standpoint, then, in the East, um, are, are you sort of indicating that like the, the Penguins might be that team and that obviously the branding, uh, you know, as all the success that they've had in the last 15 years, like is that something where you're sort of like, you know, I would say in general, is there a team that like you're like, how are they pulling this off? Like this team isn't that good right like in the central i would say like the panthers are that team because their metrics sort of grayed out to being like a very average team but they keep pulling these games out right like the whole cardiac cats type of thing um is there a team in the east kind of doing that right now and maybe it's washington maybe it's pittsburgh or are these teams actually legit yeah i think um i think starting with florida when you talk about that i think they're the best of a really bad bunch in, in that division like i think that division is 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 littered with bad hockey teams so Florida's uh, seen the benefit uh, of some some really close results going their way. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think Pittsburgh, you know, outside, you're obviously going to fade Buffalo. You're obviously going to fade New Jersey. Um, but yeah. yeah, for a kind of a middle of the pack rankings team, the, the thing with the Penguins and we saw it against Philadelphia, they, you know, they put up three goals early and then and then the Flyers scratched their way back. So um, Pittsburgh, I think uh, it's just one of these teams that, they don't they don't bring it every night when they do they've got enough skill to to keep them in games but uh just from a depth uh scenario and uh obviously they've had some organizational change there's obviously some differing philosophies in the front office so i think they're a team kind of in flux right now and they're a team to keep an eye on like brian burke goes in there with ron hextall and they're talking about having success with this group and i don't know that that's the smart strategy i know that's the one that everyone wants to see because you know, you don't want to be the guy that trades Sidney Crosby. You don't want to be the guy that trades Evgeny Malkin. But um, right. I, I think that that's a, a recipe for disaster. I, I stand to be corrected. But I think, you know, Jim Rutherford wanted to make those moves. And then that's how he got a ticket out of town. And I think okay. maybe we might see some hubris for this Pittsburgh group um, going forward. And um, okay. they, they need to blow it up. And I don't think that they're willing to do it. Okay, so maybe that turns into something that uh, is a fade down the stretch. Um, so let's, you know, take a cross-country flight, if you will, 
um, out West. And, you know, it's obviously same two t- types of questions, right? Is there a team? And then this is, this is obviously a division that kind of has that, uh, that line in the sand that you sort of talked about with the central a little bit, where it's like, there's two or three really good teams. And then there's a bunch of kind of bad teams. Is there, let's start with the bad teams. Like, is there a bad team quote unquote in there that you don't mind taking as an underdog, whether it's like the sharks in a certain situation or the wild or something along those lines. Is there a team that you're like, uh, they can, have an occasional good effort here against, you know, Colorado or Vegas or, you know, something like that. Or they're, they're, maybe they're a step above the other quote unquote bad teams. It's just, we don't necessarily know that yet. You know, it's really, it's really curious to look at the kind of the money standings in this, in this division, because St. Louis and Colorado are actually overall losing money, um, you know, from the standard hundred dollar bet on sure. each money line game. Um, whereas Los Angeles have been a profitable team this year and, and okay. they're, they're sitting in sixth place. So their team, especially, I think they've, they've got some found money here with Cal Peterson. Um, they're they're mm-hmm. a different LA Kings team than we're used to seeing, right? Like for years and years, it was Kopitar and Carter and um, oh gosh, what's uh, Carter's play? Mike Richards, even back in the day mm-hmm. and Drew Doughty. And sure. I think, you know, the guard is changing a little bit there in LA and Jonathan Quick, right? And, and all these guys mm-hmm. that we recognize, but they've got some really young, exciting players coming up through. And, and as these guys have start to find their way throughout the season, I think they're going to be a team that, that you're going to be able to make some money on as an underlying or a, a money line underdog. Um, Anaheim has a terrible um, one loss record from, from money line perspective. But I think they're a team, too, in the same boat. They've got a lot of young, exciting talent there. And I think okay. they're going to make life difficult on, on some teams down the stretch. Now, if you're looking for a team that's that's more maybe reliable against the top dogs, um, Minnesota, I mean, they're on an unbelievable run right now. And um, they they seem to me to be a team that could uh, could pull an upset in this division if they, you know, if they get some solid goaltending. OK, um, and that's, you know, I think you sort of frame that perfectly when it comes to money line betting, right? Whether it's baseball or whether it's hockey, like you have to bet some of the quote unquote bad teams because these are the prices, right? Like if you're going to, you know, value, if you're going to set a value on these teams, they have to meet that. And St. Louis hasn't been a team that's been able to meet that over the course of this season. I want to ask you a quick question about your, your betting um, and your sort of the way that you go about it. Um, You seem, and this is obviously tangential from just kind of following along um, on Twitter, but like you seem really good at, grabbing prop bet like goals and points and that sort of thing is that sort of an you know attribution to um knowing the game in and out and being able to sort of see you know who is underrated from like who you know who might be able to score a goal because he's you know moved somewhere on the power play or moved up and down the lineup like it's sort of like the deeper you get the better your chances are of success versus just kind of playing this you know, craps game of trying to pick winners on a nightly basis where you're sort of subject to, you know, the quote unquote puck luck where, you know, you, you seem to have an ability to kind of find the, the goal scoring prop that has some value. Like, you know, how would you sort of um, attribute that, um, you know, for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And, and, and we've touched on it already a couple of times in this chat that, that money lines that seem like locks uh, lose five to one. And no matter what you do, it, it seems with the NHL, um, you're you're bound to get slapped in the face night after night. Um, with with this prop thing, yeah, man, I it, it's I don't think it's anything that you can quantify with with numbers. Right. Um, although it certainly helps, 
you know, when I see, when I see, uh, or, or, you know, get an inkling for a pick, I, I do like to go and, and find something to back it up. But yeah, I think you touched on it. One, one thing for sure is, um, if you see that a guy has moved, like say to the net front on the power play and you've got a team that's going to get a lot of power play opportunities. So a couple of nights ago, I, I saw a line for Joe Thornton to have a point. I think it was at like minus 118. Now he's playing on the top line for 15 minutes a night with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. That's going to help your Mm -hmm. case right there. But what really helps his case is with Wayne Simmons out and now Zach Hyman moved to the other power play, Joe Thornton's been the guy in front of the net. So if you've got Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Morgan Riley, um, and sometimes Willie Nylander, sometimes John Tavares, ripping pucks toward the net. One's bound to bounce off you. So that's what, that really, I think, right. helps your chance to get a point there. Also, he's one of the best passers in the history of the game, and he's playing with all these guys that can finish. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. things like that. Uh, same reason I like to take James Van Riemsdyk goal props. He stands right in front of the net. He's unbelievable at deflecting shots. He's good at getting to rebounds. He's got that... You know, that move that he does where he kind of pulls out, uh, you know, backs away from the net and then and then rips it upstairs short side. So those are the yeah. things that that really, um, yeah, kind of pique my interest. I, I was doing the same early in the year. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks power play. Brock Besser would be that guy to stand at the lip of the crease. And, you know, he's a goal scorer and he, he found a way to find space and, and bang some in. And Josh Norris with the with the Ottawa Senators earlier in the year, he was going and getting his nose dirty and. And yeah, I do tend to watch teams' power plays because, of course, we know that's where a lot of the offense is generated. And um, mm-hmm. if they're in a situation where they're playing a team that takes a lot of penalties, or they're, or you know, their power play is on a on a hot streak or whatever, then then I like to jump on that as well. And, and sorry, yeah, it's very... one, one last one. Like, no, um, go ahead. you know, I I, uh, I picked an Ilya Mikheyev goal prop earlier this week, and, and he got one. And and this is a guy that that gets so many chances because of his speed and his hard work and it's only a matter of time before those guys are are um, rewarded and then you know at plus 350 or whatever it was it, it's worth putting that bet down I mean he's gonna get his chances he's he's on a you know he's snake bitten as they say and uh, sure enough that night sure. he scored and then last night against Vancouver had a couple of glorious chances as well so um, yeah those are all things I think when you know the game and you can watch it um, kind of with a coach's mindset that um, that those numbers do start to pop out to you when you see them on the board. Yeah, because, you know, fundamentally, like, as you know, we work for a sports book, like those props from a mathematical standpoint are just never going to be profitable. But when you're watching the game as, you know, like you said, with sort of that keen eye, then you are able to come up with an edge in that way, right? Like it's, you know, like you said, with the Mikheyev thing, it sort of ceases to matter what, you know, that price is relative to, oh, he scored this many goals this game or, or throughout the season, and he's got this many points throughout the season, so the price should be this. You're sitting there going like, no, actually, there's an edge here because of this change or because you're watching on sort of a nightly basis. And I don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence that all of your examples or the vast majority of your examples are Leaf games because you're a Leafs fan and you're watching that game more than you know closely than you are any other game. And that's sort of the point where it's like it's one thing to just sort of make your bets, walk away and then not watch the games. But when you're watching these games, whether it's basketball, you know, I talked about Ottawa and Calgary last night and it's like. 
Ottawa on, on the money line seems like really good value, right? Like they've scored pretty easily against Calgary. They obviously won two out of the last three. But because we watch Ottawa closely, we know that when they lose, they are done in the first five minutes, right? Like Matt Murray just does not show up and they end up down two to nothing or three to one in the first like 10 minutes of the game. And so it's like we could make this bet or we could just wait and watch the game for 10 minutes to make sure that it's zero zero that Matt Murray's showing up tonight. And then we can try our hand at a plus 150, plus 160 type of a thing. So um, the eye test is not to be forgotten. So we're going to get you out of here on this. But last week uh, in Canada, the Scotties Tournament of Hearts took over one of the main sports networks, as it does each and every February. And because CoolBet is trying their best to cater to Canadians, you guys make all kinds of markets on the this curling tournament. I should probably mention what sport this is for our friends down south. And now you aren't a bookmaker by trade, but you were last week. <laughs> so tell me what happened. Um, yeah, so I guess the the peek behind the curtain is the reason that a lot of sports books don't cater to super local events is that they just don't have the resources to do it. And if you can't take a sport and put it on an automated feed from one of the data providers, you have to physically sit there and do it yourself, which is why, you know, we have some people hired locally to do that. Now, it just so happens that some vacation time uh, corresponded with the Scotties, which on a global scale from CoolBet um, is some is some event that is after the Super Bowl and before the beginning of the Major League Baseball season where bookies are encouraged to take their vacation time. Um, because, of course, right. the Major League Baseball rolls right back into the NFL. <laughs> so yeah. it was it was like, I don't know if we have the resources to, to do this. It has to be done manually. And I say, um, I, again, opened my big mouth and said, well, I'd be up for giving it a shot <laughs> if somebody wants to show me the ropes. And um, they sure did it. And I sat there and watched every single rock of that event and, and – then, um, you know, move the odds accordingly. And, and I didn't just come up with them. We have a curling compiler and he kind of looked at the, um, the outrights. And then we set some basic guidelines for then each matchup um, based on what would be the expected outcome off the initial outrights. And then uh, just kind of adjusted yeah. with, the, with the action. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I don't think I could be a bookmaker full time, man. That is stressful when you see... No the amount of loss hanging on an outcome that as a gambler, you're like, Oh, that's definitely going to happen. Um, but of course, you know, sure. I have all the other bookies assuring me that don't you worry, underdogs are going to come up and ruin those parlays. And you know, more often than not, they do. <laughs> well, and that's the thing you hear different, you know, um, bookmakers in the industry talk about how, you know, in some cases they still, you know, make bets or they enter contests and that sort of thing. But a lot of them don't because they're like, I'm already on a side every night, right? Like in every game by and large. Right. And a lot of it is obviously, you know, I don't know if you're going to get necessarily fired because, you know, you have a bad week or whatever, but you know, these guys are just like, I don't need to bet. Like I've already kind of got my action. Here. Yeah. So, you know, but part of your job though, is to sort of, you know, in the social media space is to like, announce your bets so are you you know were you able to still bet those games you know against your own line (laughs) so to speak that was was the funny part because some competitors were clearly copying our odds and i'm laughing to myself thinking i don't know what i'm doing here and you guys (laughs) you guys are, are taking our odds obviously 
they must be okay. And then of course they, they monitor and, and adjust accordingly. But um, yeah, the, uh, it, it was interesting. I did, I did play a little bit, but I, I, I hear what you're saying for the, for the odds makers, because you're, you're invested because you're ultimately judged on how well you do at setting the lines for an event, for a sport. Uh, sure. Yes, of course, not in one week, but, over time, that's a huge part of the evaluation of their job performance is how much money they're bringing in for the yeah. company or conversely, how much money they're losing for the company. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was super stressful. I, I went uh, stressful. I went into meetings this week and the guys were like, you know, oh, Chris, you did a good job, you know, good margin on the Scotties, whatever. And I was like, I don't I, <laughs> I don't think I could do this full time. <laughs> I was like, I'm sitting there with, uh, you know, a bottle of Tums next to me, like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> right. But, yeah, I, I totally get what they see because, yeah, you're always on a side. And, yeah, the book does tend to always win. But at the end of the day, there's somebody on the other side of that book setting these odds to the best of their ability and uh, just hoping to, yeah. to get even action on it. So I think the Briar field is a little deeper, and I'm a little less involved this week okay. because the guys are back from vacation. So. I do expect that we'll have a lot more um, kind of even action on both sides than instead of us seeing, you know, um, Rachel Holman's Ontario team or, or Carrie Anderson's Canada team or Jennifer Jones's Manitoba team, just getting all the betting action because they were that much better than, than some of the other teams in the field. Okay. So yeah, you, you obviously just mentioned it, but this week, for those who don't know, it's the Briar, which is the men's national championship. So the Scotties, uh, tournament of hearts and it's amazing how that we you know i think from a brand recognition scotty's is getting you know uh more than their bang for their buck on that tournament over the years because people just call it the scotty's which i don't think there's any other property in sports where people just call it after its sponsorship name uh but in the case of the briar it's a more um generic you know traditional name if you will uh but it's the men's national championship and uh as an aside historically the most Canadian party that there might actually be. I have it ranked second to Oktoberfest in Kitchener in, uh, in my Canadian party ratings, if you will. I don't know where it ranks for you. Um, so, you, you know, you said you're not going to be making numbers for this as well. But, you know, having seen the back end a little bit more, even than you already do from, from the, uh, the Scotties, um, is that going to inform your betting for the Briar? And is there a team that you like relative to the odds to win it? Or is there a team that, you know, you're now seeing as, well, this could be the scrappy underdog of the week who takes a couple, you know, maybe they don't even make the quote-unquote playoffs, but they win enough games that if you just sort of blindly bet them as an underdog, um, you might be able to do okay. Is there any sort of teams that are uh, have caught your eye already with the tournament starting here uh, Yeah, shortly? for sure. I mean, uh what I can say, and, and you know, one of the cool things about Coolbet is I don't feel like I have this like sneaky advantage over the general public because uh, I know the action that's coming in and they don't. I mean, we share that freely, and I, I'm really, I'm really happy that we do. Sure. Yeah. Um, but one of the things we saw, so uh, Kevin Cooey's uh, rink opened at about a five to one favorite to win the event, and now they've been bet all the way to three to one. So I think the you know the people who got on in on him early are going to be really happy, and obviously uh, they're they're a perceived favorite to do very very well. But when that happened, it, it also kind of you know pushed up the odds on on some of the other teams who are now considered more long shots, like uh, Alberta's ranked uh, skip by Brandon Botcher, 
Um, they're plus 450 to win the event. They've been in the final for three consecutive years. Uh, and right now they're, they're ranked outside of the top three uh, on the futures board. So I think there's some value to be had on them. And then, you know, you talk about, you know, big underdogs that are going to jump up and bite a couple of teams during the week. And uh, British Columbia and New Brunswick, they have two veteran skips. Um, they're not, you know, with these big money teams that are going to be there at the end of the day. But you mark my words, during the week, BC and New Brunswick will have one or two upset victories over the top teams as a huge money line underdog. It's going to happen. And uh, just wanna, you, you just want to be go. there when it does. <laughs> Speaking of big money teams, aren't you guys involved with a big money team uh, in, uh, in We Men's are. Uh, the number two ranked team in the world, um, well, they were last year anyhow, no is uh, John Epping's rank. They've already secured a berth in the Canadian Olympic trials, which is kind of the, the silver tuna for um, curling teams. Interestingly enough, they were ranked number two in the world. They are ranked number six, according to our odds, going into this tournament, and that's how good... Uh, Canada is when it comes to curling so they're plus 750 uh, for an outright win um, I think that's fair you know they, they haven't won this event as a team before but they do have some team members who have, who have won so uh, I'm going to be cheering for them my heart's uh, going to be backing them and uh, you know we'll see how they do but uh, a great group of guys a great sport to be involved in and I know um, you know even U.S. curling there's uh, a great community uh, south of the border as well, and just some of the best people. And, yeah, when it comes to partying, um, my last big outing before everything was locked down was at the Briar in Kingston, Ontario last year. Okay. And, and, man, it was it was such a good ah. time. Um, now, I've been to plenty of good parties. The, the fast-pitch softball community, good parties. And okay. uh, remember, I was born and raised in St. John's, Newfoundland, so I, I, I know a good party when I see one and one about every week. <laughs> there, there you go and honestly i mean can you get any more canadian than than that segment just was right there um you can find him at Coolbet chris on twitter uh the site of course is coolbet.com uh thanks for coming on man took uh took way too long for me to get you back here but no uh, worries matt and uh listen i know you're doing a ton of stuff and i see uh see everything you're doing so uh super cool to follow uh, your exploits as well and i'm glad you could get me back on Always fun catching up with Chris Abbott. And, you know, when he told me about, you know, him being busy doing the curling stuff, I'm like, I don't care if you've ever seen a curling event or not. Um, the idea that you're just somebody's just sort of thrown into making odds for a sport for a week at a time, I think is an interesting story for anybody um, out there, even if you haven't uh, necessarily seen it. Um, we'll finish up here with uh, quickly some college basketball. Now we go one and two yesterday, Oklahoma State covers against Baylor. And again, yet another team that we are high on going into the tournament covering games down the stretch. And if we had just sort of limited it, once we had sort of hit mid-February to just teams that we like going down the stretch, whether that's Oregon, whether that's Oklahoma State, whether that's, you know, Alabama, et cetera, et cetera, we'd be doing a lot better off. Uh, we tried to get one with Nebraska, again, a team that had been um, in close games and had won close games and had won blowout games very recently. And so you go, like, what happens? How do you go from that to getting absolutely destroyed? But then you watch the game and you go, oh, okay, like, there's no interest in that team playing defense against one of the best, if not the best, offensive teams in the entire country in Iowa. And so I was going to put up 100 points. 
And then it's just a matter of can Nebraska keep up? And the reality is they just don't have the talent to do that. So that one never really that close, even though, again, we were getting 16 and a half points. Then you have the Oklahoma-Texas game and tip of the cap to Texas. They went on the road against an Oklahoma team that had been, you know, in need of a win. Not like that their tournament hopes are, you know, in, uh, in peril by any stretch of the imagination. But they went and they got that win at Oklahoma. And so, you know, this is a two-point game that, you know, we have, you know, a minus two on. And so, you know, game that could go either way. We're probably going to cover if Oklahoma wins. And Texas just comes out in the first half and plays really good basketball. And it's kind of, you know, and we didn't sort of see this going in. And this needs to be better handicapping, I suppose. But just a really tough matchup for Oklahoma in the athleticism and the length of Texas to defend Oklahoma's guys. And so when you've got Brady Manick, who is arguably the best player, uh, definitely top two on Oklahoma. And they had to take him out of the game. Because he was just getting frustrated to the point of like just not being able to focus. And Lon Kruger, really good coach, makes an adjustment in the second half to bring in a guy who basically doesn't play all that much. He's just really long. And so that's the matchup that they needed to deal with when it comes to going up against those big, long sort of NBA level um, prospects in Texas. And they come back and they come back and they take the lead. And so they take the lead with like five minutes left to go. And you're like, okay, here we go. Like, you know, Oklahoma gets down 12, 13 points in the first half, but they make the adjustment to make the comeback. And then they just couldn't close the deal. They just couldn't get it done at the end. And so you had a winner in Oklahoma State, a loser in uh, Nebraska. And then you just have this, you know, 50-50 game. And so while all this nonsense and, you know, tomfoolery is going on with hockey, um, it just sort of adds up and to be really annoyed when it comes to uh, Texas winning that game outright. Um, but like I said, um, you know, the Canucks saved the day at the end um, for, uh, so that, you know, we can go to sleep at night, essentially, uh, when it comes to a rough betting night. But as for Saturday, let's get into the numbers here. And this is just kind of depressing in a weird way. Um, like not all that weird. There's just not that many games um, for a Saturday, especially the last Saturday of the regular season. And again, that's just based on the fact that the way this was scheduled to um, be prepared in case games had to be postponed into this week. And so, you know, we've only got maybe 20 games here eligible as part of our quote unquote power five top conference type stuff here. So let's start in the ACC, Pittsburgh and Clemson. I've got this number at eight here. Pittsburgh, obviously second and third best players on their team have left the program. Didn't, I shouldn't say didn't seem to uh, bother them it has um, but how much can the Clemson number be inflated here um, based on the fact you know they just lost to Syracuse and you know I don't know about you but I'm not particularly high on this Clemson team once the tournament starts um, so my numbers come out to eight here I think it needs to be a little bit higher based on the fact that Pittsburgh is without um, you know guys that have contributed to their metric so far this season right like we are only what two games in to this new look you know, unfortunate version of Pittsburgh. Uh, also in the ACC, Florida State and Notre Dame. And you've got people booing Mike Bray off the court the other night, which is just insane. Mike Bray is one of the best coaches in college basketball. So I don't know what Notre Dame's doing, but if he becomes free uh, and eligible to coach somewhere else, he will get a job in about 10 seconds. Um, but my number here is, and it's going to be a little bit skewed here, but my number is, you know, Florida State, six and a half point road favorites here. Um, 
you always have the athleticism issue when you have Florida State going up against Notre Dame. And if Notre Dame doesn't have the three-point shooting going and sort of their general systems offensively going, then it can get ugly pretty quick. So we'll see where this number ends up. Um, we saw not a couple of weeks ago Florida State six-and-a-half-point favorites on the road against Pitt. I don't know that you know Pitt and Notre Dame, even when Pitt had their top two guys, uh, are that much different. So we'll see where this line goes when it comes to that. Rutgers and Minnesota. And this is interesting. You've got Rutgers who looks... You know, you never know what you're going to get, frankly, with Rutgers. And you've got Minnesota, who's frankly kind of a dead dog at this point. But it's a home game for Minnesota, so the metrics are what the metrics are. And they, I think, have to be favored in this game. But I wouldn't favor them any more than one and a half points here. So Minnesota minus one and a half is my number. Uh, Georgetown and UConn. Again, another yet another game, another team here that is skewed based on the fact that do they have James Booknight or do they not? And of course they do now. And so the number I think has to be higher than UConn minus seven, but that's just where my numbers sort of grayed out at this point. Georgetown's had a couple of wins here recently, so it's not like they're just some horrific team. I think the number ends up a little bit higher than that. It'll be interesting to see how much higher and whether we want to get involved in Georgetown at that point. South Carolina and Kentucky. Again, Kentucky like what do we make these numbers a team that's relatively you know consistently favored uh, especially at home against some other really decent teams here in the SEC South Carolina is not one of those teams and so where does this line end up my numbers UK minus seven and a half but we've seen South Carolina every once in a while they have these big games and they come up and bite you and so we'll see where you know, the market sort of makes this uh, end up here. Uh, certainly where it opens should be interesting as well. Mississippi State and Auburn also in the SEC. And again, Mississippi State with a very lackluster effort against Texas A&M team who, frankly, I thought was just playing that game because it was, quote unquote, senior night. Hadn't played in six weeks um, and led at halftime and Mississippi State eventually pulled away for the victory. Auburn here, I think, is a minus one and a half point favorite here against Mississippi State, who, you know, I, you cannot make a favorite here on the road, but you're certainly not going to make Auburn much in the way of a favorite at this point without Sharif Cooper. Now, if Sharif Cooper comes back, which it has seemed like he may do, this number shoots up, I think, and I think it shoots up to like closer to the four and a half range, so look out for that. Indiana and Purdue here, right? The old Hoosier State battle. Um, my numbers make Purdue minus four here. I have a feeling we're going to be on Purdue because I have a feeling this number is going to be closer to pick them than it is going to be to Purdue minus four. So we'll see about that. Uh, Arizona State on the road at Utah here. And so a few weeks ago, we saw UCLA, uh, one and a half point favorite at Utah. Now we've got, obviously, a, I'd like to think a much worse team than Arizona State, you know, faded down the stretch against Colorado the other night, uh, last night. And so my number here is Utah minus two and a half. Uh, I don't know that you can necessarily make Utah much more of a favorite than that, but I don't think you can favor Arizona State on the road, especially after being 10-point underdogs at Colorado. Oklahoma State is, again, just another tough game. And frankly, before I even sort of say what my number is here, this is just going to be a really, really tough game for Oklahoma State to get up for after two wins against Oklahoma they gave it everything they could that's a three four point game late at Baylor it's a very good team you've got the 
Big 12 tournament coming up. You're sitting right now in the sort of four or five zone from a bracket standpoint. There's not a ton of urgency. There's not a big difference. You know, there isn't really any difference between a, between being a four and a five, other than if you're a five, you start to get into that 12-5 zone, which is always a little bit dangerous, or at least sort of is purportedly to be a little bit dangerous. Um, so my number's minus four and a half here, West Virginia. I wouldn't be surprised if this is higher. I think it probably should be higher than that. And I think there's a very real possibility we're on West Virginia come tomorrow. Uh, Alabama and Georgia. Bama, a team here that again, you know, the Auburn game notwithstanding, you know, these things have been very right on the number here, right? Whether it's 11 point favorites winning by 12, whether it's six point favorites winning by five, that sort of thing. My numbers come out to four and a half here on the road at Georgia, a team that can, in theory, keep up with Alabama from an offensive standpoint. Uh, defensively, it's obviously not very good for Georgia. So um, I expect this maybe to be a little bit higher than that. We'll see. I think Georgia playing a little bit better basketball here down the stretch, though they were a disappointment against South Carolina last week. Uh, Villanova and Providence. And this is interesting because, you know, we didn't, you know, my bad, uh, I suppose, but we didn't get a chance to talk about Colin Gillespie's injury uh, the other day after Villanova had the blowout win. I shouldn't say blowout win because that game actually got dangerously close, but that win over Creighton, that revenge win over Creighton. So what kind of Nova team are we going to get here? Because I think their chances at the Final Four are toast, um, and we'll see that come the bracket, where I can assure you I will not have them going uh, particularly far. But in this one game, is this going to be sort of a rally around type situation? Is this a situation where we start seeing Providence being more and more dangerous, right? We were on them uh, a week ago as a sort of small home underdog. Uh, we were able to cash with them there. I think we're going to probably be on Providence here again. My number here, and again, it's tricky, but what's the number that you can make without arguably the most important player the sort of heart and soul of that Villanova team. So my number's three. That's obviously a drop down for where it would be with Gillespie, but how far can you really drop that down? So we'll see what happens there. LSU and Missouri. Missouri, I make a minus one favorite here. Again, I'm really down on Missouri. Kudos to them for the win at Florida, but that doesn't you know, mean I think that they should be favored by a team that can put up the points the way that LSU can. Uh, Virginia and Louisville. I've got this game at about a pick here right now. And so basically, if this is, if we're getting plus uh, any points for either side, I'm happy to take that, right? Same sort of deal when it comes to Illinois and Ohio State. Like, what's the number that you're going to make this, right? We saw Illinois kill Michigan without Io DeSunmu. I expect him not to play. Why would you bother putting him in for this game? Doesn't really make a ton of sense. You're going on the road against Ohio State. I still think Illinois is going to be a small favorite here because that was so impressive. This isn't going to be that situation like last week, that insane five-point Wisconsin favoritism in that game. That was lunacy. Uh, USC and UCLA. I think USC is going to be a small road favorite at UCLA. Minus one and a half is my number in that one. Butler and Creighton, more chaos in the Big East. Uh, you know, Coach McDermott does something stupid. He says something stupid. He's out for this game. Frankly, I think he's probably out for the Big East tournament on suspension. And who knows if he's around for the rest of the season. So what's the number that you make for this? Because my numbers, you know, again, with a small downgrade, grade out to about minus eight and a half for Creighton. Can you make them a higher than that when you're when the coach isn't even around the program? This isn't just he's suspended for the game. 
he is suspended from all team activities. Butler obviously just beat Villanova. Sure, that was a home game in a spot where they often beat Villanova. So I don't know that this can be that much lower, but I think they have a very real possibility here of covering a relatively high spread should it be any higher than eight and a half. Iowa State and Kansas State. And this is kind of interesting, like Iowa State doing nothing but get blowing, getting blown out here. Kansas State, not a particularly good basketball team. And if this, oh, this is obviously Iowa State's last chance at a win this season. I've got Kansas State as a four and a half point favorite here because, again, I think you're getting best effort out of Iowa State. And I think with Kansas State, you just never know. Um, so it will be interesting to see where that line goes. Texas A&M and Arkansas here. I think Arkansas about a 12 and a half point favorite here. Could be even a little bit higher. Depends on what people think about the return, if you will, of Texas A&M. Honestly, anything under 12 and a half, I might be tempted on taking the favorite. Uh, there's a very real possibility this is a blowout spot for Arkansas. And then Duke and North Carolina. We were sort of in shock and awe a couple of weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, whenever they played the first time, that Duke was a three and a half, four point favorite at home. And that North Carolina wasn't the favorite, even as the road team against Duke. In this situation, you know, we've seen Duke improve here, so I think the number has to come down. I've got North Carolina as a four and a half point favorite in this game. Essentially, what Duke was to them in the previous matchup, only I think North Carolina is the better team here. That being said, if that is the number and we're getting four and a half points, I'm going to be looking hard at Duke. Uh, Seton Hall and St. John's. St. John's I have as a one-point favorite here. I don't know that there's that much between these two teams. Seton Hall is in the tournament as a, at the moment. Um, again, who, you know, who really knows? And St. John's isn't, but I think this is a spot where St. John's could play a little spoiler here and get a win over Seton Hall. Vanderbilt and Mississippi. Interesting, because Mississippi, just a week or two ago, right? Mississippi, eight I think almost even nine point favorites in, at, at one point on the road against Vanderbilt, they go and they lose outright. And, uh, you know, so what, what's the number now that the shifts to uh, Oxford, Mississippi? I think it's, it has to be the same because I think obviously you have to account for the change in location, but you also have to account for the fact that they lost the game. So Mississippi minus eight and a half is my number here uh, as the home favorite against Vanderbilt. And then finally, Xavier and Marquette. Uh, my number makes Xavier a tiny road favorite here at minus one and a half. Um, again, I don't necessarily have a ton of love for this Xavier team. I often do, so it's not nothing against the program. Um, but this is a spot where I think Marquette could pull off a victory here. So yeah, we'll see where all these numbers end up. Um, as per usual, we're going to give out all the plays on Twitter at MRussAuthentic on Saturday morning. Um, look for the Action Network previews for hockey. We'll have a couple of those for Saturday as well. And we'll tweet out all the Saturday stuff um, on Twitter uh, on Saturday afternoon, and uh, hopefully we have a little better go of it when it comes to uh, some luck points here. Um, taking the night off after obviously last night's disappointment, couple of games in the sort of power conferences, but none of them are pretty at all. You got Boston College at Miami, and just I think Wake Forest is in action. There's no Big Ten game; it's just not worth it. Um, but watch some hoops if you want. Like there's a ton of really good. Um, low-level tournament type stuff, right? We're going to have the Missouri Valley here, you know, 
uh, finals here on, I believe, Sunday. Uh, I think there's a final tonight, actually, in the OVC, and I can't believe how disappointed I am. Uh, I can very well believe how disappointed I am that I don't know these off by heart. Normally, I do. Uh, I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like I'm missing out on March, even though it's back, it's happening, and uh, I'm excited about, especially next week, with a conference tournament starting. Talked about it with Ted. We're going to do, on Tuesdays with Ted, we're going to do a full um, conference tournament, big time conference tournament preview um, show on that day. And of course, Monday, we're going to talk about everything that happened over the course of this weekend. So thanks everybody for hanging in with me uh, after just kind of a rough day uh, last night and being able to kind of hang out with Chris Abbott and talk, uh, talk some curling uh, with him. Thanks again to Chris Abbott from CoolBet. That was just a delightful conversation. Uh, follow him at CoolBetChris and me at MRussAuthentic. Subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast until Monday. I'll see you at the window.